The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Thank you all for being here and gathering with us this morning um, to be reminded of the good news of Jesus together. As I said earlier, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel McCarty, um, and I get to serve as one of the elders and pastors here at New Eden, which is just one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm just excited to be a part of what God is doing among and through each of you. Um, if you think about it this week, uh, be in prayer for myself. And a couple other guys were leaving on Wednesday to go to Tijuana, Mexico for a few days. We are visiting a couple uh, that we're sending out to go help plant churches among an unreached people group somewhere in the world. Uh, but right now, they're at a nine-month training school there in Tijuana for that purpose. So we're looking forward to hanging out with them for a few days. Um, we're excited to see how things are going. This is also a good time to remind you as they're sending church to be praying for the Ks. Um, again, we can't say their name for security purposes but you can find out more information on the table back there about them and one of our other missionary couples. Um, pray for the case specifically during this year. They have a lot of big decisions that they're making, like uh, where they're going to end up long term, what location, and then what team partners they're going to partner with um, to plant churches among unreached people groups. So be praying for them. Also remind you to pray for BNR, our other couple who is sitting right back here. Um, they are in the midst of raising funds. They went through the same training school last year, um, and they hope to head over to their mission field uh, sometime early next year. So be praying for them. If you've been here any length of time, you know that supporting um, um, missionary work among the unreached people, people who've never heard is important to us, um, as well as stuff locally and regionally. But um, yeah, we want to continue asking God on their behalf for those that we're sending out. So prayer is a big piece of that. So just as a reminder, um, as we typically do here at New Eden, we're preaching through a book of the Bible. And today we're continuing in our series through the book of Titus. If you didn't get your scripture journal, I'm sorry, you missed out. But our plan today is to cover what you just heard read, which is verses five through nine. So we've kind of taken a little, we were in Daniel, we're covering like whole books, I mean, whole chapters at a time. And, and now we're just like covering little chunks. So it's a little different. Um, we're going to have the verses on the screen. We use the CSB version of the Bible if you want to follow along with us. Um, verses will be on the screen as well. So remember, quick review, because we got a lot to cover. Um, this book is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to one of his, what he calls, true sons in the faith. His name was Titus. That's where the book gets its name. And so the encouragement here is that Paul is publicly reminding Titus to as he says, set right what remained. So a lot of churches being planted on this island of Crete, very strategic place to plant churches, and these churches needed to be established. So look at verse five of our text. That's what he says right away. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as a big piece of this is I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So these churches are being established and one of the first orders of business for Titus is to appoint what are called elders. And so our entire text for today is essentially telling Titus, here's what to look for as you raise up men 
as to elders, and this is why it's important. So that's, that's the entirety of our passage. That's all we're going to look at, um, what Titus is looking for in future elders. He also gives just some practical wisdom about this as well. And so in a minute, um, we're going to go through the list that Titus gives us and look at it um, just line by line. But I want to take a few moments, because I think it's important, to just briefly share some of the things that New Eden believes from the scriptures about the role of elders, okay? Some of us might be familiar with what elders are, hopefully gospel-centered, healthy elders, but some of us might think of it as simply a decision-making board. Uh, Some of us might have been given a skewed vision of elders from past experiences. And so before we kind of even get to the character of an elder, I just want to answer a few basic questions. So let me just confess, personally, I I wrestle with a lot of texts and sermons. This one I've wrestled with more than any in in quite a while, just because there are some maybe difficult things in here. And then I'll just be honest too, it's a little bit awkward as an elder talking about the qualifications and character traits of an elder. Um, So just give me much grace um, as we go through this. I just want to kind of put that on the table and we'll go together. Um, You guys are very gracious as we work through stuff like this. We want to go, that's why we go through the text though. We can't skip stuff like this. So What is an elder? Okay, simply put, as defined by the scriptures, an elder in the church is someone who is tasked with equipping the members of the church for the work of the ministry through primarily teaching, shepherding, and oversight. So culturally, most of us are probably more familiar with the word pastor. Biblically, elder and pastor are interchangeable. The scriptures use elder a lot more than pastor. Um, At New Eden, just so you guys know, if we refer to someone as a pastor, that means that they are a staff elder. So they are paid and compensated for their work that they do. And that's just to free them up to have time. Um, We currently only have two staff elders. We're a young church, um, but our plan, and we're in the process of continuing to raise up lay elders, which would be... um, Men that are not paid, they are volunteer, but functionally they all carry the same um, sense of authority, if I can use that word, okay? So that's kind of how we refer to it here, okay? Those we call pastors will always be qualified elders who've been raised up and affirmed by you, the body, to fulfill that role and by the elder team, okay? So that's that. Now, what might be different about, for some of you, depending on your background, I don't know where you come from, um, we have a plurality of elders. So this might be different than kind of the single pastor, maybe CEO type model that can be popular, especially in the American church. We believe that the most biblical understanding of elder is not one single man who, quote, leads the church. The pattern that we see set forth in scripture is a plurality of men or a group of men that are tasked with shepherding and equipping the church so that the members can go on mission using their various gifts and roles that God has given them to make disciples of all nations, right? So as members, we're engaged in the work of disciple making. That's not just for the pastors, right? And so this plurality that we see patterned in scripture does a few things. Um, It guards against celebrity worship. Um, You know, Paul had to deal with this with the church at Corinth. You know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. And so it guards against that. Um, It also brings mutual accountability beyond just what the members of the church already provide, and it allows for healthy sustainability. Um, the, the, the weight of eldership that we'll get into in a minute is a real thing, um, and so nobody can do that alone, and it's not healthy and sustainable, and so we can share that burden, okay? 
Another thing about elders that's important, uh, one of the primary ways they're referred to is as shepherds um, of the church. Um, we like to think of elders as leaders. That's like a word that we find ourselves using a lot. Um, there is a, a sense of carrying authority within the church, but elders are given, and we need to grasp this, as gifts to the church, people who should be willing to be poured out as a sacrificial offering for the faith of the members, okay? So there is no room in the office of elder for lording over or domineering, but rather elders serve arm in arm with the body on mission together for the good of the world and the glory of God, okay? That's the biblical vision of an elder, one who serves. Now, there's one other thing I want to address because for some of you, this may be a hurdle. So anytime I address things that are outside of the immediate text are for one of two reasons, either because it fills out and helps the text to be better understood or because I believe it might be a hurdle for enough people that we're not able to gather the sense of the text because there's a hurdle there. And so this is one of Mel eldership. That's what I want to address for a minute. So right now, especially if like if you're on Twitter, which is cool, um, there's a lot of conversation I say the broader church world, I mean primarily America, um, about the historical view of the vocation of elder being restricted to men, okay? And so for some of you, this is an important issue for you. Like, you might not have known that this is what we we're going to talk about today, but if you did, you'd be like, that's all I want to know about. And so if you're here, here it is. If not, you can tune out and come back, and that's okay. So let me do a couple things. First of all, I want to say that if you disagree with New Eden on this, let me give you space and say that is okay, my hope for us in these conversations is that we would be able to discuss this with you in good faith, that we would be able to wrestle together with the truths of the scripture, and that if, if you, even if you don't see eye to eye with me on this right now, that, that it would not be such a big hurdle for you that you would, I, I don't want you to miss the main point of the passage, because it's truth for all time, so, so hang with me, because we're going to see it, and we're going to land um, on Jesus when all is said and done, as we do every week. So, because I don't believe in kind of just dancing around tough issues, we say all the time we're going to address them, um, I want to clearly state where New Eden lands, give a couple simple reasons. Um, I wrestled whether to even go into this because Titus doesn't, Paul doesn't really, he kind of just assumes um, male eldership in this passage, and so we have to bring in other scripture to kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, so, I, I wrestled with whether to talk about this or not. So, I'm going to, it's going to take a little bit of time, added some time on my sermon, but I think it's important. So, let me just say, New Eden Church holds as one of its what we call distinctive beliefs that the vocation and calling of elder is reserved for men. Now, this isn't just any random man. It is men of character, conviction, calling, and compassion that are mutually affirmed by the members of the church, as we'll look at in just a moment. And so let me speak with as much humility as I can. I, I told someone, like, I have, I have literally cried and wrestled over this um, because I know that some of us have have past experiences with this. Um, and so my fear is that this is gonna come across emotionless because my tears are already cried. Um, I hope that's not the case. Um, but I want, I wanna say that our hope and prayer is that we as elders have formed this belief not based on cultural norms, either inside the church or outside the church, but rather on submission to God's truth is found in the scriptures, hopefully being led by the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, I also believe that this distinctive belief is in line with the majority, not all, but the majority of over 2,000 years of church history. Um, and even today, the vast majority of today's global church, so let's step outside the Western church, that this is not even a really a controversial conversation, okay? So 
I'm not gonna spend forever making a case for it. What I do wanna say is that if this is difficult for you, like, please, let's talk. And if it's not, that's great. Okay, but if it is, we want to have that conversation with you. We are not defensive, angry, or argumentative about this belief. And if you disagree with us, our only ask is that you, you approach that conversation with the same posture. Not defensive, not argumentative, with the posture of humility. Uh, this is a distinctive belief. It means we recognize that different churches um, and even Christians might disagree with this on this. We would even invite you to be a member of New Eden disagreeing with us on this stance, as long as we agree that it will not lead to divisiveness or anger as we hold our very position and that you, you understand the position of New Eden Church, okay? So having said all that, we still wanna be honest about where we land and what is, for lack of a better word, the official position on this at New Eden. Um, we've arrived at this through wrestling and I hope humility. So a couple other things I wanna say, um, kind of flowing from that, but just largely, I think one of the issues with this belief, if you have issues with this, most likely you have experienced male elders that have held this office in the Western church that have been abusive or jerks, for lack of a better word, okay? The reality is, and I admit this, the church has been full of men who have used the role of elder or pastor to build their own kingdoms, to advance their own agendas, to domineer and lord over members, and to keep others, especially women, subordinate to their will. And I wanna plainly say that that is wrong, it is evil, and if you have been on the receiving end of that, I am sorry. Um, that is not God's plan, and I believe those men should be removed from the office of elder immediately. I believe that eldership, rightly understood and lived out, is a gift to the members of the local church for the purpose of the flourishing of both men and women, and if that's not been your experience, I feel deeply for you. I am not a woman, but I have sat underneath domineering pastors, and I've walked through that, and that can be a living hell. And so I'm especially empathetic toward women who've been kept subordinate and smothered under domineering male leadership no matter the setting. And so my prayer for all of us, especially if you are a woman at New Eden Church, that that is not your experience. I hope that the culture we create and the way we live our lives causes you to feel loved and valued and safe, cared for, honored, protected, revered, encouraged to go do bold, brave things for the sake of the gospel. And I mean that because you are my spiritual sisters, my spiritual mothers, some of you my spiritual daughters. I have three daughters of my own that I hope grow up at New Eden and experience this culture. And so I ask for you, if you've experienced the abusive nature of pastoral authority, whether you're a woman, man, whatever, is that you would ask the Spirit to by His grace, and it might take time to redeem for you what the true God-given vision for an elder or pastor is and give you the grace to surrender to what God's plan is for His church, okay? One other thing, and I promise we're gonna move on. This is a lot. It, again, if this isn't an issue, tune out. I'll tell you when to hop back in. The other reason I think the issue of male-only eldership can be difficult in our culture is we have equated eldership with CEO. We have equated eldership with being primarily a leader making all the decisions. That is not the biblical vision of eldership. And if it's seen and operated that way, it's extremely unhealthy. 
Do you know that the primary role that anybody can hold within a local church, the, the top role, for lack of a better word, is that of a member. You, as you are a member of a local church, you are reflecting what is true positionally in Christ that you are a member of the family of God. You are sons and daughters of the most high king. Before I'm an elder, before Kevin is an elder, we are members of this church. That is our, our, our like primary role. And we have sought as best we can to honor our members, listen to our members, change our mind because of our members, equip our members, so together we can go on mission for God. Eldership is a call to sacrifice, to die for self, and to live a life of service to the church, which Jesus refers to as his bride. It is not a call to be in charge, Lord over, and to get your way. So I don't believe that this is God relegating women to the back so the men can do the important stuff. Rather, it is God calling men to sacrifice and surrender for the sake of the church so that all, both men and women, can flourish in the varied vocations and giftings that God has granted, which includes sacrifice. We all actually are called to that. So all that, hopefully we have a little better sense of what eldership is within the church. Let's look at our passage and see the character traits of an elder. Okay, we good? Everybody good? All right, cool, moving on. That's the stuff I wrestle with, whether I even talk about. Um, I felt like maybe we should, I don't know, might change my mind in preaching team um, that we have on Thursday. So <laughs> Paul gives a list here that is simply meant uh, to give a snapshot of what is required of an elder, okay? So we're gonna see some, some character traits of an elder plus just some practical wisdom. As we go into this list, I wanna list three dangers for us. Uh, the first one is applying this list in its, strict, in its strictest possible sense. If this is the case, only Jesus could ever be an elder in a local church, okay? The other danger is swinging the pendulum and applying this list in the loosest possible manner. Well, it doesn't really matter, okay? And that leads to unhealthy elders who do abuse their authority, okay? That's one of the issues of that. And then the last danger, which is one that happens, is applying this list in a selective manner. Well, you know, cheating on your wife disqualifies you, but being a bully as eh, long as you're a decent leader, we might put up with that one. That's not how it works, right? This list we need to apply across the board consistently, okay? So Paul first says that an elder must be blameless. This is kind of a catch-all term. This does not mean that the elder is ever without fault, okay? It simply means that his life is generally above reproach. So this is introducing... Paul's intentional in this, the communal aspect of an elder's role. The church is actually involved in affirming that this person is called to this task because they are above reproach. This is not an isolated vocation where elders sit in the ivory tower and make decisions for the masses. That is not how it should operate, okay? So then he starts in verse six by talking a bit about the family life of a potential elder. He says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. So this is not to say that a potential elder must be married or must have kids, but if he does, this is a snapshot of how it should look, okay? So this phrase husband of wife, literally translated, simply means a one woman man, meaning this is not someone who is with multiple women. This has to do with a man's commitment and faithfulness to his wife. 
Because let's be clear, it's pretty wise to say that if a man can't care for, honor, and remain faithful to his earthly bride, how will he care for the bride of Christ? Secondly, he has to be leading and managing the rest of his household well. The idea here is not that kids are perfect, okay? Hang around my kids for a little bit, right? The idea here is that he has appropriate control over his kids. Does not mean they are perfect angels. It does mean that when his adolescent children, those that he is responsible for, when they face issues, that this person handles them with strength and patience. He is neither passive and uninvolved, but he is neither overbearing and lording over. He is simply caring for his children with grace and love. And this is evidenced by the overall response, not at all times and not with every single kid, but that the overall response of the adolescent kids that they are willing to follow their dad's leadership. When this characteristic is given in a different book, 1 Timothy, Paul gives a reason. He says this, if one can't manage his own household, how will he manage the household of God? Now, this sounds a little harsh. Um, the reality is this is just wise. If you are struggling in your home, you do not need to be concerned with the, the things going on at the church and carrying the weight of another. A man's first responsibility is caring for his home. And so, so if that, that mean, means it might be seasonal. There might be seasons of life where your kids are struggling and that needs extra attention. And so you might step out of eldership for a season. That's for the good of the, the, the man as well as the good of the church, okay? So that's a little bit about the family life, okay? Then Paul moves to an elder's personal character. He kind of does this in two different ways. Verse seven is what he cannot be. Verse eight is what he needs to be, okay? Verse seven, let's look at the negative things first. I'm just gonna go through the list. First, not arrogant. An elder must be humble, not full of pride. He can have confidence in God, about the role he's been called to, but there is no room for arrogance or haughtiness. Um, if you're looking for evidences of this, it might be a lack of confession, never willing to admit wrong, never changing their mind, never letting others lead. That would be describing arrogance. Next, Paul says that an elder cannot be hot-tempered, so always lashing out at the members over stuff. Okay, if you feel as if you have to walk on eggshells, eggshells around a pastor, now some of that might be your baggage from your past, so we'll talk about that, and therapy, counseling, right? But, but, if, but if it's because of the, the tone and the arrogance of the pastor who lashes out because you think you're gonna get chewed out over something, that's an issue, okay? Paul also goes on to say, not an excessive drinker. So if he's getting drunk, he has no control over his use of alcohol, then it's, it's evident that he lacks the, the sobriety and self-discipline to care for himself, let alone care for others. And that, that needs to be cared for. He needs to be cared for and come around, right? Then he goes on to say, not a bully. He cannot lord over or manipulate or micromanage his members. Evidences of this are that you think you can never disagree with the pastor or else you'll be ostracized, treated poorly because that person has to always have their way. And the last thing, the last negative he gives is that he is not greedy for money. This doesn't mean that the church doesn't take care of their elders and their families, especially those that are called to vocational eldership, but it does mean that the elder is not in it for the money. He is not using the church to live a cushy life. He is not using guilt and shame to get members to give enough money so he can do what he wants with it and build his own kingdom. That is not his ultimate aim. 
okay? And then in verse eight, Paul gives positive contrasting character traits, what an elder should be. He says first that an elder should be hospitable, willing to open both his home and his life to his people, living among those he is called a shepherd. This is not an ivory tower. This is a welcoming incarnational life, dwelling among, making their home among those he is shepherding. He is to be a lover of good. I love this because this addresses affection and heart level stuff. He doesn't just do what is good and looks good, but he loves good. His affections are in love with the things that God calls good. He values what God values as beautiful and true and right. And then Paul says, sensible. Does he have wisdom, prudence, a form of what we might say common sense, right? Or is he irrational, unpredictable? And then he says, righteous and holy. This doesn't mean perfect. This isn't the saving righteousness of Christ that only happens through the work of Christ. But is this person's life evidence of gospel transformation? That the gospel has taken root and transformed this person where he bears fruit of godliness. Is there a pursuit of holiness? Or is he flipping about it? About sin, you know, is what it is. Does he have accountability and community invested in him? Do people know him and is he known? where he can confess sin and chase after the beauty of God. And the last thing that I would call a character trait before Paul moves to the one gift that an elder needs to have is that this person is self-controlled. Again, kind of all these other things, talk about that. If you can't manage yourself, how do you help manage the household of God, right? And then Paul gives in verse nine, the last thing that he says is that this person holds fast to the faithful messages taught, meaning the core truths of the gospel. Paul addresses this in other epistles as well, but the idea here is does this person know and understand the good news of Jesus, the life, death, the burial, and resurrection to the point that he can defend and communicate it, not necessarily through the form of a sermon, though some elders will be called to that, but in whatever avenue that he needs to. Is he versed in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Can he smell or sense a false gospel when legalism raises its ugly head within the church? And Paul says the reason that this person needs to be able to do that is twofold. First of all, to encourage the saints. Often we don't think of standing for sound doctrine as being an encouragement. But if we understand rightly what the good news of Christ is, that when members have a pastor who is willing to fight relentlessly for the proclamation of the gospel and the one true unadulterated gospel, that that is important. It is an encouragement that that person is willing to stand on that. So to encourage the saints, clear communication of the gospel. And secondly, to refute false teachers and leaders who manipulate the gospel for personal gain because it will happen. Any religion, anything that can be used to control people will be taken advantage of and manipulated. So those who teach a false gospel of legalism, that is when elders are called to bring out their boldness and their voice. Interestingly enough, it's never towards struggling sheep to berate them. Rather, it is to stand against false leaders who are manipulating members of the church with legalism or licentiousness, okay? So that's the list. There it is. 
It's extensive and robust in one sense. It's also like, like, and I wrestled with this. This was a good reminder this week of like, this is weighty. But it's also extraordinarily normal. You don't see this gift required to be able to speak in tongues. You don't see Paul saying, hey, I had to see him cast out demons. We got to make sure he can do that. No supernatural healing gifts. We see godly character and faithfulness. And really, it's basically what would characterize a mature, spiritual, faithful person. But still, this is an extensive list, and it does present a weighty call for those who fulfill the sacrificial role of an elder. I I wrestled, and you can ask, in preaching team, we have both men and women that meet weekly to process and critique uh, past sermons, we do self-review, and then we look at upcoming text. And I've, uh, through, through just conversations, said, I need prayer for this. I, I've been really feeling the weight of this text and wrestling with just a, a lot of things, plus my own inadequacies as an elder, as a pastor. And so I'm like sitting in my office on Friday wrestling with this. And I'm like, God, Spirit, what is the heart of this? Why this list? right? I mean, it's just this list here. And I was overwhelmingly struck with the reality of the seriousness with which Christ loves his church, which is called his bride. The seriousness of this list is evidence that Christ cares deeply for you. And anyone who has any level of oversight or eldership in his church had better understand the weight of this vocation. This is not the pursuit of fulfilling a desire for leadership. You can go start a business, become a supervisor if that's what you're after. Go do that. This is also not an opportunity to become a theological expert and use the scriptures to show everybody how they're inferior to you because you've got all the answers. This is a sacrificial weighty call to love, serve, and care for the people of God as an under shepherd to Christ. And again, this has been good for me. I've been brought to my knees again, as I often am in this role. I can't do this on my own. Me and Kevin can't do this together. We can raise up as many elders as we want, but this has to be spirit-dependent and spirit-led, has to be. But by God's grace, I think I can say for both myself and Kevin that our conscience is clear in regard to our motivations for this role. We are not here for us. We are here for you to be poured out, as Paul said, as a sacrificial offering for the faith of your souls for your good, for your joy, for your growth, for the edification of Christ's church. And at the end of the day, all we want for each of you, whether you, you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, whether you agree with me on male-only eldership, at the end of the day, what I want for each of you is to see the beauty of Christ crucified. See, earthly elders are temporary. You will not have them in the new creation. 
We are here simply serving, and no matter the impact that they might have on your life, that some pastor or elder, and it can have eternal impact, but the reality is one day, the chief shepherd will appear, and he will lead all of us stumbling sheep to streams of living water and green pastures of rest, and he will cast all evil outside the kingdom. And so even if you've had really, really, really bad pictures of earthly shepherds in your life, again, I am sorry, but I want to point you to the one true shepherd who will never let you down. He will never use you or manipulate you. Jesus cared so deeply for his bride that he lived an incarnate life. You want to talk about hospitality? He made his home among us. He took on sinful flesh. He lived the perfect caring life. He, he invited everyone to the table, loving both his friends and his enemies. He welcomes the outsider, the least of these, those in this culture that no one else wanted to invite in. He says, come and feast. And all the while, as these weary, tired people who are struggling with their own sin and sin that was done to them, he says, rest. And I got sharp words for those religious leaders that want to keep you on the outside. I'll handle that conversation. He wasn't concerned about maintaining the status quo as he honored and featured people throughout his ministry that were often ignored. And ultimately, he shows the depths of his love for his bride as he was not only willing to live for her, but willing to die for her. To suffer an inhumane, torturous death on a cross because we in the story are the cheating bride who is unfaithful, who, who rejects the covenant and we have no other hope but to go back and prostitute ourselves out to other gods and false idols of this age. But still, God crawls down into our mess and on the cross, he redeems us. He buys us back with his blood and, and he shows us in the resurrection when he gets back up from the grave that we sang about a moment ago, that he has the power over sin and death. All this stuff that was keeping us as his bride enslaved to sin, he conquers it. And he invites all of us that, that trust in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We are brought into his church as his bride. And the vision that we see in the end is that he returns and he presents us, you and I, no matter the ups and downs of your life, how difficult it is, the doubts you have, the questions you're wrestling with, with the way God even set this up. At the end of the day, all of that is taken care of and we are presented perfect, holy, and righteous. And the vision you see is of the most beautiful wedding ever that earthly weddings can only be a shadow of when us as his bride walk down the aisle to be united to Christ forever. And Jesus will see to it that you are kept until the end safe and whole. He is the true shepherd. Elders are just under shepherds. And every earthly elder, by God's grace, should be a small glimpse 
a faint shadow, a small foretaste, and a picture of the true shepherd. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. We see antitypes of the true shepherd in churches all around. But in close, my prayer for us here at New Eden, for the two elders we currently have, which are myself and Kevin Perry, and for any future elders that are raised up, that we would be willing to not only live for you, but die for you. And I say this with trembling because it's a call that is scary, but that we would be willing to to live for the growth and completion of your faith, that we would be willing to live and be poured out as a sacrificial offering for your souls, not perfectly, God knows, not perfectly, but hopefully humbly and consistently, this is not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Not for our own good, but for yours. And, and at the end of the day, our motivation is the same as yours. Together, we're just stumbling sheep awaiting the return of the chief shepherd who will rid the world of evil workers of injustice, who will cast unrepentant domineering leaders of the world into outer darkness, and he will finish the sanctifying work within the hearts of all who have surrendered and submitted their lives to this good shepherd, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So as we discuss the role of earthly elders, can be a little difficult, maybe awkward, as we discuss their character traits and what they're called to do, I don't want you to miss that the heart of this is that you would be encouraged and reminded of the care and the love that Jesus has for you, his bride. He loved you and gave himself up for you. On behalf of your elders here at New Eden, let me say that by God's grace, we're willing to go on that journey with you. We're here for you. I mean that. For those of you that are part of New Eden, For those of you that are exploring this, we are here for you on your journey. And our heart, when all is said and done, is that we want nothing more than to relentlessly point you to Jesus, who is the true shepherd of your soul, who will never let you down.